We're back. Welcome to episode 210 of the Red Dirt Agronomy Podcast. I am Dave Deacon, and we got a pretty fun episode for you. We're talking all things Oklahoma wheat with Oklahoma State University Extension Small Grain Specialist, Dr. Amanda Silva. Dr. Silva has some great information on the current wheat crop and talks with us about a couple of areas of research that she's working on that will help Oklahoma wheat producers in the future. She also tells us about her recent trip to Paris, France for an international meeting on wheat production. By the way, you will be able to find all the information that she talks about on our website, reddirtagronomy.com. As always, we start with a quick trip around the table for an introduction to the dream team of dirt and everything that grows from it. Let's start with Oklahoma State University Extension Cropping System Specialist. In bad years of wheat, you know, especially bad fall years, we, we get so many questions on oats, you know, spring oats particularly. And now it's like, oh, okay, we got all this tons of great fall pasture. I mean, are we going to get any discussion on fall oats? I'm sure we will. Dr. Josh Lofton. Next to him is an extension ag engineer with Oklahoma State University. They're not looking at that variety to protect them. On the low side, they're saying, I have higher expectations for my wheat now. Dr. Randy Taylor. And of course, next to him is Oklahoma State University Extension Precision Nutrient Management Specialist. How many of our acres now have crop rotation? And now they have crop rotation, they're looking at new lines of corn, soy, and sorghum every single year. So now they're used to it in the other crops. So now they're more inclined to bring it in on their wheat side to look for upgrades. Dr. Brian Arnell. We're happy to announce that this episode of the Red Dirt Agronomy Podcast is brought to you by the Oklahoma Wheat Commission and the Oklahoma Wheat Growers Association. Both organizations are focused on the growth of the Oklahoma wheat crop, with the Oklahoma Wheat Commission dedicated to growing markets for Oklahoma wheat around the globe, and the Oklahoma Wheat Growers Association on growing the voice of the Oklahoma wheat producer. You can find more information about the Oklahoma Wheat Commission and the Oklahoma Wheat Growers Association over on our website, reddirtagronomy.com. Now, without further ado, let's get to talking wheat across Oklahoma and the rest of the Southern Great Plains. You are listening to the Red Dirt Agronomy Podcast. Do we start off with a crop update with her? Do you want to take off? Let's or? go ahead and okay. go to the expert. Yeah, straight okay. to the specialist. Yeah, sure. our, our, our esteemed <laughs> guest and expert in all things wheat and small grains, Dr. Amanda Silva. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. Hello. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. And in, in, in the time, and we'll dive into this a little bit later, but uh, in the time that we've we last recorded, you've been all over the planet and talking <laughs> with other highly intelligent folks of, of of grain knowledge and wheat knowledge and and you guys have been trading trade secrets and such and we'll talk about that later but mm-hmm. <laughs> watch this i'm gonna tie it back in here <laughs> so what's happening in oklahoma wheat <laughs> oh yeah so we are um i think we are in a good shape mm-hmm. overall um we are still planting in the program because we have some late planting research happening. But today we are cutting some forage samples and it it looks great. Um, Overall, I think, I think our our wheat is is looking good. So when it comes to cutting those samples, do you cut them on a certain date in the, uh, 
in the in the in the cycle or do you just wait till it gets to a certain height and then cut we try to kind of cut in a time that it would be a time where producers would let the cattle okay out but usually it's any time after thanksgiving we will cut it if conditions are good so that's and what we are trying to do is just to get differences to see differences among varieties to see if we can capture that in in driving by uh your 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 test plots over here on the agronomy farm uh on the way in there's some pretty good forage that you guys are pulling off yes yes it's amazing we are very excited this year we can actually use a forage yeah cutter i guess right. <laughs> uh to do that because we've been doing it by hand especially last year that we it was so small we barely had any uh, so yeah it looks great are are you doing replications of the of this trial across the state or is this just primarily a stillwater event so this will be here in stillwater in Chickasha, and uh, we'll have first hollow stem also measured in those plots and sometime in the spring we'll have the results out for producers to to see it that's great and and of course um with that oh there there is the excitement for you know that we're, we're talking about dual purpose wheat right now but there is that excitement for the cattle producers because they haven't had this opportunity in a long time to have this much forage and what what varieties do you have planted right now that you're actually seeing the the Oh, we have, I think, I don't even know, maybe almost 50 varieties out there. Wow. Yeah, in Chickasha, we may have around 25. I can't remember exactly the numbers. I just, yeah. So we have the same varieties that are entered in the variety trials for yield. They also get measurement of uh, forage, forage growth. Yeah. That's so. great. And and what has been the, the biggest contributor to that? I, I, I know in my mind I'm going to say rainfall, but is it rainfall? Is is it just the 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 soil, you know, being a friend to the wheat this year? Yes, yeah, the the moisture is the 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 most important component. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> Friendly soil. It's, we're, it's going, we're, <laughs> we're going to go back to that friend <laughs> soil. This was healthy, friendly, soil. friendly. I was trying to not look at my <laughs> <laughs> well, well, what what I mean is, you know, the, just having the, the the nutrients there and being friendly to the seed. Of course, that's what I mean. You have been around your teacher wife a little bit too much. I have, I have, yeah, yeah, and yeah, and we just got back from Disney World, so you know it's oh, that's happy right. siege yeah. running around and singing. It's a small Happiness. world after all. Uh, but but is is it the soil? This is how I should have asked it. Is it the soil conditions, or is it the moisture, or the the nutrients that are in the soil that are helping? I think here would be moisture. Right. I think that's the most limiting factor for us, uh, and then for the differences that we see among varieties that could be the water use efficiency right. of the differences among them and then then nutrient uh, of course it's it's important in the ability of those varieties to utilize the nutrients that are available but this year moisture is the this year and all years i guess so so much like the osu football team our mm. best years oh are we're going there 1945 <laughs> 2011 and next year and yeah. and here we are in the next year and it's actually holding true that our, our wheat crop is off to a good start this yes, year. Yes, it is. It's uh, very exciting. Yeah. yeah. 
I like she was talking about how she's excited they can use the forage harvester for the first time in her career because <laughs> the wheat's been so small that they've had to do it by hands with scissors wow. so, and clippers. So yeah. now they could take a machine out there <clears throat> and worried the crew's like, you want to go back and clip them? Chris? No, we want the machine. <laughs> this is better. Don't worry. We'll make it work. I'm all for mechanization. Exactly. Yeah. Most oh, agronomists yeah. are not. <laughs> so you mentioned water use efficiency, maybe on some of the varieties. Do you have a way to measure that, or is that part of your analysis? We have not measured that, but there is a way. Yeah, yeah. there is a way, um, especially... It would be more accurate if we had monitors in mm-hmm. the in the field. We don't, but we are we have above ground biomass that maybe yeah. that that's a good sign of the ability of those varieties to utilize the water that is available out there. Well, some of the fun stuff that we're doing, and Amanda hasn't seen this data yet because I'm I'm ground tr- I'm making sure the data is right. But Amanda, we took the Gallagher Green Hammer Iba double stop into the growth chamber to look at roots. So. We're putting plants under nitrogen deficiency and non-nitrogen deficiency to see, do we change phenological structure? Do we mm-hmm. change how the roots look? Because in cotton, we've seen we, we can. So interesting enough, Iba and Gallagher, in cotton, we can put a seed in this basically foot and a half tall tube and grow it for about four weeks. Wow. The same thing was the, the goal for wheat. Gallagher and Iba were through the bottom of the tubes on all plots within two weeks. Wow. Very so fast massive root fast rooty growth. Interesting thing, and the nitrogen didn't change it. Like, very little impact about the nitrogen. But uh, Greenhammer specifically, and, and uh, double stop a little bit, Greenhammer specifically, we saw in the high nitrogen concentration, the roots were extremely short. Only 10 out of potential 30 centimeters. That's all the growth they had was 10 centimeters long. In the non-fertilized, they were 30 centimeters long for two weeks. The mass, they just weighed it yesterday, the mass is almost equal. So they are not even changing the amount of root that they're growing. So the mass of the roots. The mass of the roots are the same, but they're searching. So Green Hammer tripled its root length. Not amount, though, because that's what we've looked at. Is it a change in how much we're creating, or is it a change in just the phenological structure of that root? And so first run... We're absolutely going to go back in as soon as we can and try to get another run to duplicate that. But really seeing this in effect, efficient effect, like we've, we've talked about on, on, you know, in a droughty or you plant corn and it's kind of dry, the corn will seek out moisture and chase moisture. If it's really wet, the roots stay shallow. Well, this is, um, we call them tree pots. So they're only about two inches in diameter. They're about uh, 12 to 14 inches tall put a seed in pure playground sand and the water is underneath and the water has all the nutrients but nitrogen or low and high nitrogen and the water is still able to percolate up like we germinate with over the top water and then it seeks out and so it's um, really interesting to see this we're done in about two to four weeks and turning this around and seeing the impact of nitrogen deficiency versus adequate nitrogen on root structure and it looks to be very, very varietal specific. So what you're saying is that when when you have nitrogen, then maybe Greenhammer didn't put a lot of deeper growth. So would that influence yeah. how you manage it? Like the timing yeah, and of so application? Absolutely. Maybe? Yeah. So and th- what really intrigued me is I, I told him, because it's, it's my Brazilian team that did it. So 
trying to uh, be nice in Portuguese, basically telling them, like, are you right? Because they had uh, really short roots and really wrong, longer roots, and the difference having the same mass, meaning mm-hmm. the, the quantity is the same. So they've gone back and remeasured. It's like we have the same amount of root mass, but in the high nitrogen, it just set in the surface. It is very, very concentrated in that soil surface. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the the nitrogen deficient, it's you got a couple major root systems going straight down, and going we're going twenty seven centimeters in two weeks, wow. versus seven centimeters in two weeks with nitrogen. So we're looking at now how can we take that to a bigger? How can we take it out past two weeks? And so we're looking at uh, we'll probably bring you in looking at aeroponics. Hmm. creating basically mist and mist chambers where we look at and uh, Texas A&M I can't remember who it was Texas A&M has done some of this stuff and they were able to take cotton out to bowl load wow and so we're talking full plants in a greenhouse basically you put it in an enclosed chamber and you have spray nozzles and their setup was spray seven seconds every seven minutes wow and just kind of mist keeps that that root in that area uh, under moisture I was totally wrong. I remembered aeroponics as a band in the 90s. I had their cassette tape. It was totally different. I'm, I'm so wrong about that. Yours is much more interesting than, than the band in the 90s. It sounds like you need another podcast. <laughs> right. <laughs> did, you, did you just let him go in the middle of this? <laughs> he, he must be stopped. Um well, that's that's interesting. So, w- j- just just to piggyback on what you're talking about, um, this this chamber that you've built this is, has, has shown yeah. great things for the wheat, but is is has a great future for you. So, so we've we've not built the chambers yet. We've okay. We've actually talked the. And it's perfect for this podcast. Basically, some undergrads at Texas A and M are building them from extra supplies. Basically, Amazon, they've gone into excess property where they have all the plexiglass right. from COVID days. So they got excess property and bought some stuff off of Amazon and started building these for their, their prof. I guess their master's level. So I said, you know, come up to Stillwater. I'll pay you for a weekend up in Stillwater and might have some runaround money to spend some time on the strip. But just come make these since you're you're already successful in a system. That's cool. And so hoping to bring that in. What we're doing right now is kind of an older, we're just small pots but like i said we're limited on time we on cotton we can get to about four weeks of growth which is not much past two true leaves and on wheat we were really thinking we'd go four weeks on wheat and then freaking ibis poking out of the bottom of this tube in two weeks and we've got two inches past the tube tube shooting two weeks and so it was interesting that gallagher and iba both had some of the longest root production of both of those varieties and very little impact and differences across nitrogen rate. That's amazing. Yeah, very interesting. And and from the data we have that we see IBA being one with uh, the highest uh, nitrogen utilization efficiency. Mm -hmm. So that could explain that. So basically it's able to produce more yield with lower amount of nitrogen and maybe the ability to scavenge deeper so so any updates on the nue work because so uh dr silva and i've been doing this nue project almost since she's been here yeah uh, basically so we have eight site years now yeah, <laughs> it's growing it's changing it's it's morphing around that's where the growth chamber uh share with us a little bit of some of the results because i haven't even seen the last year or two results yeah so i think this is the the it's gonna be the last year so we have 
the Abiola, the master student working on it. And uh, basically what we are doing there, we selected all these four varieties that Brian was just mentioning, Iba, Gallagher, Greenhammer, and Double Stop, where they have very similar yield levels, but they differ in protein. So we are trying to understand what are the differences in the way that these varieties utilize nitrogen during the season. And uh, for now, what we are seeing, it's uh, looking at different plant components and how they accumulate nitrogen in different plant components and how they utilize nitrogen, especially later in the season. And one of the things that we are finding, it's this higher nitrogen utilization efficiency of IBA and uh, the greater ability of Greenhammer to hold up high yields and also high protein. And so we wanted to understand what's happening. And one of the things that we are finding is the ability of Greenhammer to continue uptaking nitrogen, especially later in the season. And now I'm, I'm very interested in the, in the root data because yeah. all we've, we've been looking is above ground. Um, and so we look at leaf nitrogen accumulation for Greenhammer. It's able to sustain that leaf uh, green for mm -hmm. longer in the season and that is contributing uh, probably to to the grain uh, protein and in yeah in one of the things that we see with IBA when we compare protein with green hammer it's lower amount but that is because IBA is so efficient in utilizing nitrogen to produce yields that is actually dilutes the protein in the grain because when you look at the functionality of protein for IBA is 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 very good it's just the total amount that it needs a little bit more mm. nitrogen to to increase the total amount of protein. So over the years, uh, you, you, it, it's amazing that we're still talking about Gallagher and Iba all these years later because the, the, these are varieties that are still being used and are still very hardy. Do we see any in the variety trials that are kind of you know in that same vein? Ones that are ones that may be the next Gallagher or Iba that, that you've seen, that, that, that maybe you've been watching over the past couple of years that that have that possibility of being a longevity variety? It's so hard to say mm. because I feel like nowadays we have a very, like a, a much faster turnaround right. of varieties. So every year, if you look at the variety trials, we always have new varieties coming, not only from OSU, but from everywhere oh yeah so i feel like it will be it will become more difficult to have a variety that's gonna stay for like 10 years or right. you know maybe three years and then you want to change I, i'm not saying it's right or wrong right. it's just it's just because we have so many mm -hmm. in but we do have in the in the trials varieties that, that they show that stability i think that people were looking for uh especially when they were growing Gallagher or double stop, if you look right. at double stop, and and I think one of the main the main reasons people grow it, it's because it's just so stable. You know, you know how it's going it's going to behave. Right. Even if it may not re, um, reach the highest yielding the highest yield compare in comparison to to others, but it's very stable. Like you look at across years, drought, wet. It's uh, it's a variety that is very stable. But yeah, it's uh, it's difficult to say. But yeah. we do have some in the in the trials that I would say that has that higher 
nitrogen use efficiency right. and uh, instability, but also we have newer varieties with higher yield potential than we used to. Well, so so that's an interesting thing. You know, back I feel like back a long time ago, we we moved varieties out because something happened to it. Right. You know, like Jagger would have still been grown today if it it still is. If, don't if, don't lie to yourself. It's still grown today. <laughs> it would have still been the number one wheat grown in <laughs> Oklahoma. If what was it? Because it was rust that came through that that caused an yeah. issue with Jagger. And so they they moved on and you know kind of went down that that path. Do we see that same thing happen? Like it's those big varieties is it a main you know thing that that pushes a variety out of the way or is it we just get new varieties that are just better at doing what our older ones are doing and so we've moved that process oh, that down that definitely can ha- can happen especially with rust yeah that yeah. you know by the time the breeder is uh done and by the time they release we may get a new race of the disease coming in the state that just wipe out that variety and people don't want to manage for that so severely like you know uh. i'm going to throw this back to josh so think about this how many of our acres now have crop rotation that was yeah and now they have crop rotation they're looking at new lines of corn soy and sorghum every single year so now they're used to it in the other crops so now they're more inclined to bring it in on their wheat side to look for upgrade other than i'm i'm a continuous wheat farmer well, so that, that's kind of what I was going with, or, or we've moved into a more, I'll, I'll call it a Midwest mindset of I'm I'm looking for the variety that now I like Gallagher, or I mm-hmm. like Double Stop, or I like something like that, and it still does fine for me, but I'm looking for that next generation, where I feel like 20 years ago, we were fine sticking with where we were as long as it was working. I feel like they've gotten this... You know, growers in the state have gotten this corn soybean mentality because those those varieties don't hang on more than a year or two, right. and then we've mm-hmm. got a new, bigger, and better. Yeah, and and maybe that's that's it. That's a shift in the mentality and how conservative people are nowadays. I guess also would depend on the year. Yeah, and how profitable that can be. But in we could we could see. I don't know. I I think we are seeing more in the state people being more willing to manage uh, a little bit more the wheat, um, even if they are in, in like in a dual purpose, low input system or, th- or something like that. And that can, that can play a role too. Yeah. If they're, even though they're willing to, to manage, but they're also, that also includes that selecting a variety that they can push mm-hmm. for yield and, and that would require some additional management, but they could see some return on that too. So I think that's what that, that that uh, management is the really key thing that you just brought up is that is people when and so I think now when they're they're not looking at that variety to protect them mm-hmm. on the low side they're saying I have higher expectations for my yes. wheat now yes. and so they though that's the group that may be looking you know again for a quicker turnover in varieties and mm-hmm. saying I need something that's that's really going to let me manage it and respond and to respond that. And respond to the management. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think so. And that's what we try to do with our trials, that we've uh, we've changed some in the variety trials, like including intensive management trials. Instead of just comparing fungicide with or without, we compare as a system, because usually it's going to be a system. So producers that are planting maybe on a seeds per acre, that are selecting varieties that will respond, they're willing to add a little 
bit more of nitrogen fungicide so it's it's a it's a system yeah. in in general yeah in a year like this where where we actually have the have the the forage capability to to whatever wheat we have do you do you think that we'll have more of a insect or an insect but a weed pressure um, moving forward because we we actually did have some some uh, rainfall and you know there there could be some competition do you do you think that that could be an issue especially with maybe the later planted wheat yes we we are still seeing some we are managing for it but having a a bigger crop out there it makes the wheat way more competitive right, right? than with our late planting, yes, it's a small. It's going to take a while until it builds that canopy. It could be an issue. Another thing that this year we didn't see was actually uh, fall armyworms. Really? Yeah. At least I, I haven't heard huh. anything. I, I talk, Very sporadic. Very, yeah. Yeah. So I was uh, happy, surprised, but afraid, you know, with the good forage we had out there. So. Well, that, that was the surprising thing because I think, didn't I tell you in like August we had – a corn for a, or no it was it was the end of uh, end of the summer last year or uh, end of the spring right at the start of the summer we had a, a class project out here and the students were digging up army worms i mean like wow. there was mm-hmm. hundreds of them and, and then they just w- went away and just disappeared and yeah. we haven't really seen a big flush of, well you know god bless <laughs> yeah yeah we, we better stop but, saying it but, but yeah but it, it's it's shocking because that was that's always the last couple of years that's been a major issue mm-hmm. especially well, for our forage stuff when it's been so minimal you know forage production anyway you know they had something you know that was that was causing an issue you know taking out that forage even even more but Look at what happens when we have moisture and a couple cold cold fronts move through right. and can yeah. drop that. Yeah. One thing we do sure. have to worry about that we would be watching for since we actually have moisture now is things like tan spot mm-hmm. and powdery yep. mildew and mm-hmm. our disease lush complex, canopy. lush yeah. canopy, our disease complex are much likely to be pushing this spring and even this fall. Then, I mean, I haven't, I haven't sprayed green up or uh, jointing fungicide in three years when prior to that it was a... I, I would do it every time just to make sure I had that taken care of. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point that we may need to manage. That is a question I was going to ask with the potential of a full-blown El Nino. I mean, usually that means in this area, and in, in, in I've talked to different researchers across the country. One of the guys I talked to in, at uh, Auburn, he said, well, we really don't want an El Nino because that means drought in a certain part of the state. And I'm thinking, in Oklahoma, we want an El Nino because that means, <laughs> you know, rain. We need rain. But in, in this part of the world, with, with the potential of a stronger El Nino, more moisture, varying temperatures, is, is that is that going to be good for the wheat crop overall? I it, well, it, it, let, let, let let me re-ask that question. In years <laughs> past, whenever we've had an El Nino, has it has it proven to be a good thing for Oklahoma producers? I, I'd put it; it's better for the Oklahoma cattle producers. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't I don't think it's going. <clears throat> I don't think it'll drive our grain okay yields yeah. massively. In fact, we're looking at data right now, and shockingly, the number one driver for winter wheat grain yield on the studies that we've done on the fertility side for the last twenty years is April rainfall. Okay, that's that's the best predictor of yield. So, yeah. you know this this moisture now it's just helping our our the dual purpose and the graze out and getting that that forage that we've not had in the fall in at least the last two or three years. Right. And it, and it should, 
help our rangeland. So now we're moving off. We're not relying so heavily on our fall pasture. We're able to move off fall pasture quicker onto our, our winter wheat pasture. Our range needs probably five years of rest, but at least needs a month month or two of rest, which it hasn't had in years. So this, this is as good for the entire Oklahoma cattle and forage production system as anything else. I mean, and stored moisture is always good. I mean, right. that's... I, I mean, it's how well we store it, and you know what April brings can can be a lot of things. I, so I want to go. I want to go back to the variety mm-hmm. thing, and and not really variety thing, but uh, we've we've had a lot of discussion, and and I think I, I'm hearing more and more. Brian, you can tell me I'm wrong because I'm sure you you're wrong. Man, you. <laughs> uh, we're hearing a lot of interests in softs and whites, and then miscellaneous small grains, you know, oats and barleys and all those kind of things. I mean, is that making a strong push this year, or, or because we've had such a great wheat year, everybody just kind of put wheat in the ground because it's it's kind of been such a good year this year? Yeah. I, I don't know. I haven't received many, many questions about it. I, I did for spring wheat. Uh, the softs, yes, and especially in the eastern part of the state but but yeah i i've received questions about the spring wheat in and whether that would be feasible here or not and, and things like that but i don't know you, have you i i i've like what it, what it, what I've is heard your less than than years past okay but, uh, yeah but so actually in the northeast group i've i've talked about they're upping their hard red acres yeah. they were almost a hundred percent soft and this mm-hmm. year they're upping hard red but that fly, uh, price flipped on them I, and i think that it, okay. it's that ratio of soft to hard true and so historically they had that that price benefit where they could get more bushels and had that win but hard red had a better price and so they could true. sacrifice a few bushels and get that upsell of hard even before i think they're getting more for soft before too yeah yeah and and the yields were just well, I mean, and, we were and 120, 125, 130 yeah. in Ottawa yeah. County last year. Yeah. So, yeah, I was, I mean, you know, <laughs> in, in bad years of wheat, you know, especially bad fall years, we, we get so many questions on oats. Yeah, You know, true. spring oats mm-hmm. particularly. And now it's like, oh, okay, we got all this tons of great fall pasture. I mean, are we going to get any discussion on fall oats? I'm sure <laughs> we will. But, I mean, I, I just wonder if that's going to be lower again this year. And, and, and if the interest in, in some of the other ones, you know, like I think one or two years ago, I mean, it sounds like everybody wanted to try some barley. You know, for yeah. some odd reason, wheat wasn't good. It, you know, the barley was what they wanted, what folks wanted to try. So yeah. I didn't know if you've been hearing that, you know, around the countryside. If No, not not. Not very much, but I think I think that's what it is. It depend depending on the conditions. Then, if it's a it's a really bad year for the wheat, then we just start looking for for options. <laughs> yes, alternatives. And but yeah, especially this year, I haven't received any questions on the on the other ones. Well, and I know last year, you know, I was I was driving back from the Panhandle with Raiden. And you know his his family plants a lot of rye, and there was issues getting seed. Has has that been an issue this year, or are we pretty? Uh, have have we heard issues on rye seed, and or are folks even planting rye? It's just you know wheat's so abundant, and yeah, maybe it's being quiet, quiet because. I don't know. Well, and we get these two heard. small grain people you, around yeah, here, but, and then you know, they don't even answer. People need to, yeah, people need to call me more than. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I haven't received questions about that. No one's talking to her. <laughs> yeah. I, I hadn't heard anything. So. No, yeah. 
Yeah. Very little chatter on that one. Yeah. I, I feel like a lot of that comes well. I mean, the the rye seed, you know, even folks that were trying to do cover crops last year, they mm. just couldn't find rye. Yeah. I mean, okay, that's, just, yeah. just non-existent. But, I mean, even our rye, our folks that were planting rye for forage and, and stuff like that, they just couldn't find it. The the, the seed was few and far between, but I didn't huh. know if, if the, that, that kind of played itself yes. out or if, or if there's just so much weed around that they're just going to plant the wheat. So, so Randy, what did your farmer plant? I saw the wheat's up. This time he he planted his wheel tracks, so that's a win. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> it's sweet. Yeah, but they uh, he had a had a kid drilling the wheat, and he was driving around, but there was nothing coming out most oh, of the time. No. So, so there's some gaps in it. But, in, uh, but uh, all the stuff that got planted really that's what I was going to 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 ask Amanda about it. She's doing variety selection for very poor managers, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, so it's, uh, there's some wheat there, but, it, it, but you're bringing up the, the, you know, the other crops, cause probably looking at planting some oats for hay on part of it, just, you know, not to graze it, but, but, uh, and then get that cut off early enough to go in with some beans and, and some things, but, uh, so. Well, well Amanda, so it's December 6th Six. today. Six. Yes. What are you looking at? I know, I know folks that still haven't planted because some moisture came in, so there's still some open acres. Mm-hmm. What what are what are we telling people to do? I mean, we have December planted as far as population, as far as do we have to switch varieties now? What what's what's looking like for open ground that they still want to put wheat in? Yeah, so and and that's that's part of the the things that we are still looking in the in the program. Yes, increasing seeding rate is usually a recommendation, even though our data has not shown differences in mm-hmm. yield. I'm not, I wouldn't recommend to not increasing it yet, uh, based on the on the data we mm-hmm. have. Um, and then we are looking for that short season variety. So uh, if you're planting this late, maybe play a little bit with the maturity of the variety you have. Because uh, that's something we we actually saw in our data that makes a, a huge influence, especially later in the season. Mm-hmm. If you plant a very late maturing variety late in the season, then you expose that to the heat um, in June. Yeah. Um, yeah, in phosphorus, mm-hmm. you would <laughs> recommend that. So increasing seeding rate, looking at... I'm forgetting one. Seed treatment mm-hmm. also. So seeds will be sitting there in cold <coughs> soil. So that's a that's a good plan too. But in the yeah, in this research that we are doing, so this year we have three on farm studies and one is in northeast Oklahoma with Brent Rendell. And uh we'll, he's planting there five seeding rates, so three different planting dates and two varieties. So those two varieties are one that is our check for optimal planting date, and then the short season variety. So we'll be comparing those two maturity groups, mm-hmm. very different maturity groups on different planting dates. And then we'll have very similar trials in Kildare and Apache also. So hopefully with those trials, we can do some build, build up some database mm-hmm. here for us in Oklahoma and, and see the impact of that interaction of planting date and seeding rate and whether we need to manage 
or we need to change anything on our recommendations, especially for, for late planting. Are those field scale plots or are those small plots? So for uh, northeast Oklahoma will be more like field scale. He's actually doing with his equipment. And then the other two will be us doing with our little equipment, but three to four replications. So we should be should be very well representative. Is there a laser up on the ceiling? <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, Josh. Didn't mean to distract you. <laughs> so uh, I'll do this since <coughs> Josh has a laser. You just want me to introduce this. So. <laughs> well, I mean, since you're already doing it in other crops and now we're doing it in wheat, I thought you could. So, sure. so we started. We've been doing TAPS research, oh, which yeah. is on-farm. Basically, well, I can't remember. Testing agricultural products in cotton and corn and performance. sorghum. Performance in those three crops and we're now taking it into wheat and so i was going to let amanda tell, talk a little bit about the wheat taps which is it's not new for osu right. or anything but wheat done in wheat wise it is yeah that's a very exciting program that we have going on this year so have different teams competing with each other um looking at different management practices in wheat and brian will be is managing it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, the fertility especially mm -hmm. so we've planted the plots here in Stillwater and it's a very exciting opportunity for us to learn from each other um, and, and you know as far as uh, everybody selecting their varieties mm -hmm. what they would plant and the seeding rate and nitrogen and fungicide so we'll have different things happening in the season in those management uh, decisions uh, being decided during the growing season from stakeholders in the state so so yeah yeah and so they pick their variety they pick their population um they pick fertility uh, fungicide not insecticide insecticide and herbicide we control across the board yeah wow. and so the interesting thing is <clears throat> we have standards so they get to pick their variety and their population we're putting a standard variety at that population so we're, we're testing not just their their management but how did that management influence by variety which is very similar to what we've done on all the other taps having that check and so it's fun. We got in the ground a little late, yeah. Um, but it's got moisture, so that's that's a win. Yeah, and even it was a little late. It was like November the thirteenth or yeah. something. But every every plot is exposed to the same conditions, so it should still be mm -hmm. able to yep. to see differences in the in the choices there. So it's a it's a very yeah. exciting program that we have. So the teams are the wheat improvement team here at OSU. Rock on. <laughs> we have Oklahoma Wheat Commission, <laughs> Oklahoma Wheat Growers, uh, two teams that are formed by farmers, mm -hmm. one in northeast and one group in north central Oklahoma, and then extension. Uh, yeah, we're we're putting western uh, extension against eastern extension. So uh -huh. Pew's running a team. And Bashong's running a team. Yeah. And, so and then K-State also is participating. Oh, yeah. We allowed Dr. Lilato to drop in. <laughs> <laughs> of course, he's the most complicated. He has to add all the things. <laughs> well, I mean, why not? <laughs> why not? <laughs> Just rock you low. Yeah. Yeah, so it's exciting. Yeah, this will be good. That's uh, something also happening mm -hmm. here at OSU and people should be watching for well and, and the exciting thing is is watching everybody compete in the high jump and the tug of war <laughs> and then yeah. the yeah. the 
50k is it the 50k yeah <laughs> you want to run a 50k that's backwards <laughs> yeah, yeah. run a 50k <laughs> <laughs> well um but before we wrap it up i I, I, I want to ask about. Um, I, I kind of alluded to it back before the happy soil comment. Um, the you you're on some pretty interesting teams and, and committees uh, around the world. Um, you were recently in Paris, I believe. Yes. So let let's kind of dive into why were you in Paris and 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 what what you were. Um, what you brought to the table and then what you what you learned. Yeah, so I was uh, selected as the early career scientist in the in the WIT initiative, mm-hmm. nitrogen use or nutrient use efficiency expert working group. So in that group, they have different researchers working on on nutrient uh, right. use efficiency in wheat. So it's a very focused team in the. Focused, I mean, on the wheat crop. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> what she's saying is, there's no soil scientists. No. <laughs> Actually, I, I think there are. Right. <laughs> I don't just, know. It's <laughs> not you. Just not. Yeah. So yeah. No. But that was uh, that was very nice. So mm-hmm. basically, we were discussing projects that we are doing. So. One of the presentations that I gave there was actually showing how we are measuring that here. So not only in my program, so right. representing what we are doing as a, as OSU. Mm-hmm. So what Brian is doing, uh, especially with Dr. Carver, on that that type that time of selecting a variety with high nitrogen use efficiency, for example. So they have a trial at Tipton mm-hmm. where when Carver releases a variety, he already has some information on the efficiency of those varieties as far as the use of nitrogen. And so I presented some of that work, some of the physiology work that we are also doing here uh, together. Uh, Brian and I looking at, at the varieties that I was just mentioning mm-hmm. and, and how they use nutrient during the season. And I was representing basically the U.S. I was the only one from from wow. the U.S. <laughs> there. And we had uh, researchers from the U.K., from France, from Australia, from all over the, the world. So it was also good to to start building collaborations right. in in and also to discuss some ideas on how we can improve research um in to improve nitrogen use efficiency in wheat that's amazing you're you're taking when you came back uh, after that did you feel like osu is behind with the crowd or at, at the lead of some of this work I think we are with the crowd with the crowd on mm-hmm. the management practices. I think there are some things that we can do uh, that they've been they've done in France as far as utilizing the database we have mm-hmm. to learn more about about the varieties, about the management practices here that we do on the physiology side. I think we are also we are good mm-hmm. in good shape. <laughs> I think we are going heading to a, a very um, how can I say in the, in the right way, in the right direction. And, um, and yeah, there are not many groups doing all this work that we do tracking nitrogen during the growing season. Mm-hmm. So, so I think, uh, we'll, we'll have very good information coming out of, of, of our program here. So what's coming down the pipe? What's, what's, uh, what's the next step in, in the small grain program, uh, like what are what are you looking forward to in the next year or two? 
Yeah, so we'll wrap up this research uh, looking at the physiology of nitrogen uptake in wheat. We'll continue working on best management practices, especially for late planting wheat. We want to have that information for when producers need. Like Brian said, we still have a lot of people planting. Mm -hmm. And the more I talk to people with farmers, the more I learn how how that is important for our state. And I think it will become even more with other crops coming into mm -hmm. the rotation with people wanting to diversify their system. So we, and that's why we are increasing our experiments with planting date. Mm -hmm. um, and I, yeah, I think will be those two, two areas looking at nitrogen use efficiency and, and best management practices. So. Well, Dr. Amanda Silva, thank you so much for coming in and talking with us and, and getting us up to date on on the current uh, situation in the Oklahoma wheat crop. We always love having you on. And uh, how much how much longer until the, the baby <laughs> well, Thank you for having me. Uh, baby can be here anytime. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <coughs> Actually, it's true. Oh, okay. Yeah. So by the time you air this, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, maybe yeah, we ought to wrap this up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Made it through the podcast. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Far. Yeah. so far. So yeah, far. Yeah, we were afraid that maybe I wouldn't make it. But yeah, I think I'm, I'm, still, I'm still around. She, she's good still. <laughs> <laughs> well, if that's the case, let's go ahead and wrap this up. Thanks for coming in. Bye. <laughs> but yeah, but thank you. It's, it's always good to be here. And thanks for the invitation. Thank you for listening in on this conversation of the Red Dirt Agronomy Podcast. And if you'd like to join the next discussion, send us an email, podcast at reddirtagronomy.com, or send us a tweet. Our handle is Red Dirt Ag. We'd like to thank Oklahoma State University's Dr. Amanda Silva for joining us on this episode of the podcast today. And of course, we'd also like to thank the Oklahoma Wheat Commission and the Oklahoma Wheat Growers Association for sponsoring this episode of the Red Dirt Agronomy Podcast. You can learn more about these two organizations and what they're doing for the Oklahoma wheat crop over at our website, reddirtagronomy.com. For Dr. Josh Lofton, Dr. Brian Arnell, and Dr. Randy Taylor, I'm the, not a doctor, but I play one on a podcast, Dave Deacon. And of course, we want to thank you for listening. The proceeding is a copyrighted production of AgNow Media, LLC 2023. And yes, all rights are reserved.